Welcome to The Social Contract, a podcast created by author George S. Corey and the artist Cleo. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a hot summer episode seven of The Social Contract. I'm your host, actor, writer, producer, Tavia Gilbert. Just when it seemed as if the era of the theatrically released summer blockbuster was dead, or at least on life support, along comes Maverick, the sequel to Top Gun, only 36 years in the making. The movie is on track to be the biggest hit of the summer, and according to Forbes magazine, the biggest action movie since 2008's The Dark Knight. In fact, Top Gun Maverick has become Paramount Pictures' highest-grossing film ever globally. Whether or not you're feeling Tom Cruise's need for speed, the success of Maverick appears to indicate that the summer blockbuster may be back. So I'm very excited about our summer series here at the Social Contract Podcast. And Maverick isn't the only big hit. I'm proud to announce that The Social Contract has just won a Platinum.com Podcast Award. Platinum is the highest distinction in this international competition, which honors excellence in web creativity and digital communication. And we are delighted that The Social Contract received recognition for its excellence in the government category. Let's recap what the most excellent Social Contract podcast is all about. This monthly podcast is for political junkies who might have forgotten just how fun and often comical politics and Washington's political figures can be. The podcast was created as a companion piece of sorts to George's book, Presidential Conversations, which is now in paperback. You don't need to be familiar with the book to thoroughly enjoy the social contract. But in keeping with its spirit, this podcast features fictional, often satirical send-ups of the hot-button political issues of the day. The first episode in our summer series, penned by George S. Corey, is called World War T. In this irreverent COVID-themed satire, written just as we were starting to emerge from the darkest days of the pandemic, George imagines a zombie Trumpocalypse that, thankfully, never was. There's also an amazing gallery of zombies that Cleo created to accompany the World War T listening experience. I invite you to check it out at theartistcleo.com, and we'll feature a few of Cleo's zombie pieces in the transcript as well. Is it wrong that I find some of them kind of cute? Okay, grab your popcorn, kick back, and let's listen to World War T, performed by our brilliant friend, Stephen DeRosa. From Vanity Fair, April 23rd, 2020. The President of the United States seriously suggested that Americans clean their bodies with disinfectant to treat the coronavirus. In response to Bill Bryan, who heads the Department of Homeland Security's Science and Technology Division, touting cleaning agents' ability to kill coronavirus on surfaces. I see disinfectant where it knocks coronavirus out in a minute. One minute. And is there a way we can do something like that by injection inside or almost a cleaning, Trump said at Thursday's press briefing. Because you see, it gets in the lungs and it does a tremendous number on the lungs. 
So it'd be interesting to check that. So you're going to have to use medical doctors, but it sounds interesting to me. When Brian said that his lab was not doing any research to look into that, the president responded, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work. What follows is a fictional, satirical account of what happened in the aftermath of Trump's now infamous comments. Suffern, New York. In the wake of Trump's comments, one couple in Suffern, New York, becomes somewhat of a social media sensation, fueled by the hashtags Suffern No More and Trump Miracle COVID Cure, after posting about their thrice-a-day preventative cocktail. A dishwasher tablet swallowed back with a shot of bleach. Since the pandemic's earliest days, hand sanitizer and toilet paper were already scarce in the United States. As the Suffern couple's popularity goes viral, trending on Twitter, drugstore and supermarket shelves are similarly purged of dishwasher tablets and bottles of bleach. The White House. When he hears about the Suffern couple, Trump immediately and instinctively loves them. And he loves how his beloved base loves them too. So much love. Feeling inspired, Trump throws caution to the wind and, on a whim, decides to announce a series of socially distanced, wink wink, Trump rallies. This makes Trump so happy. The daily White House briefings, during which he has to stand in between that little know-it-all Tony Fauci and the scarf lady, Deb, what's her name? Burks, are a piss-poor replacement for the thrill of Trump rallies. Various locations throughout the USA. Over the course of the following weeks, Trump crisscrosses the country to bring the people what he thinks they need during such bleak times. Him. Billed as Trump Live, the reunion rallies, the president and his adoring followers are finally reunited, and it feels so good. Peaches and Herb knew of what they sang. At each of these rallies, Trump is all too pleased to trot out the Suffern couple as his special guests. Chief of Staff Mark Meadows makes sure that the Suffern couple travel separately from the president and his entourage. They're not exactly jetting around on Air Force One. In fact, they don't fly at all. They travel exclusively by train. A specially designed, hermetically sealed train car of their very own. Looking worse for wear, with eyes bulging, their hair falling out in patches, and flesh flaking off their skin, the Suffern couple chalk it up to their grueling travel schedule. A rumored germaphobe even before COVID, Trump makes sure never to share the stage with a Suffern twosome and always stays at least 20 feet away from them. He personally thinks their dishwasher tablet with a bleach chaser regimen is idiotic. But he never dissuades them from continuing with it, nor does he ever publicly repudiate it. Why should he? People are eating it up. Trump's favorite part of the rallies is hearing not just the cheers, but also the screams. 
when the suffering couple are released to run free through the crowd. The reunion rally's ratings may end up being his biggest yet, maybe even surpassing The Apprentice. With each stop on the Trump tour, he notices attendees getting more unruly, diving into what look like mosh pits, and the crowd's cries getting louder and louder, almost primal. News reports begin circulating about outbreaks of violence as zombie-like creatures begin terrorizing town after town, city after city that Trump visits. While Trump shrugs off such reports as fake news, he has to admit that the crowds on the Trump tour increasingly look and sound mighty strange. Stranger than usual. Trump had always wished that his base could look more upscale, but this is different. Their shoddy clothes, shredded to mere rags, reveal open sores and peeling flesh. Their skin tone bears a distinct greenness, or maybe bluish tint. And night after night, the sound rising up from the rally's crowds is a foreign, piercing Weird, Trump says to himself of the followers he only sees from the distance on a raised stage, rarely if ever close up. Trump may be a showman, but unlike his predecessor, he's not exactly what you would call a retail politician. And speaking of retail politicians... Biden Campaign Headquarters Far from sleepy, Joe Biden turns out to be a formidable opponent to the incumbent president. And even though Biden is older than Trump, he is as fit as a 50-something runner. And his soon-to-be-announced running mate Kamala Harris is a 50-something runner. The Biden campaign team is aware of growing reports of what is being called a looming zombie Trump apocalypse. Then, a top-secret security memorandum is circulated among the team. The memo contains the results of a toxicology report of a Trump rally attendee who was taken into custody after suffering a seizure following a display of public lewdness and indecent exposure. As Biden thumbs through the report, his eyes widen. Does this mean what I think it means? He asks. One of his advisors nods. Yes, sir. Come on, man, exclaims the incredulous Biden. You mean to tell me that this crazy cocktail those people up in Suffern concocted has actually created a new virus variant that not only can kill, but also turn people into actual killer zombies? Biden's advisor nods somberly. Believe the science, sir. The killer zombies have all been infected by a unique strain. They're calling it Variant T. The White House. You idiot, Meadows fumes at Dr. Deborah Burks. You were right there when the president started all this nonsense. And what did you do? Nothing. Have those Hermes scarves finally cut off the blood supply to your brain? Now look at the mess we're in. What would you have had me do? Asks Burks. Here's what you're going to do now. First step, we need to isolate patient zero, both of them. 
So get on a plane with your crackpot team up to Suffern and get them under control. I don't care if you have to use tranquilizer guns, nets, crucifixes, whatever, just do it. Suffern, New York. As the plane carrying Dr. Burks touches down at Teterboro Airport, she receives word from the CDC team that had been dispatched to the Suffern couple's home. Husband and wife are dead. Burks instructs them not to call the coroner or do anything until she arrives. Clad in hazmat suits, Burks and her team make their way up the gravel drive to the white brick Cape Cod-style house. Three empty black suburban SUVs are parked in the narrow driveway. Two ambulances sit idly by the curb. The silence is eerie. Burks calls into the already opened front door. Hello? No response. She tries again. Nothing. I am Dr. Deborah Burks, and I'm here with my medical team on orders from the White House. Hello? Burks motions to her team to follow her as she walks through the open door. Inside, they hear, The door slams shut behind them. National Institutes of Health, Bethesda. Seated at the head of a long conference table lined with white-coated scientists, Dr. Anthony Fauci shares his findings. It's not like anything I've ever seen. It's almost like that TV show, The Walking Dead. Don't get me wrong. In most instances, variant T is fatal. But in some cases, we're seeing it mutate and actually turn people who've been infected into, for lack of a better word, zombies. We believe this variant originated with people who may have already had the antibodies and then took it upon themselves to undergo a self-prescribed regimen of dishwasher tablets and bleach. After that, it just started to spread, like any infectious disease. We have every reason to believe that the same measures being used to protect against COVID-19, wearing masks, social distancing, washing hands, are also effective against the transmission of variant T. The problem is that the most vulnerable populations are also the ones most resistant to adopting the CDC's recommended safety measures. Another problem, of course, is the threat posed by the zombies themselves. But that's more of a public safety issue. Let's keep focused on public health. Will the vaccines currently being developed work on the variant T strain? Asks one of the scientists. We have every reason to believe so, yes, replies Fauci. But our immediate concern remains stopping the current spread of variant T. So far, the majority of cases have been contained to areas where President Trump held rallies. They're like arena-sized Petri dishes, another scientist chimes in. So the only way to put an end to it... You got it, Fauci interjects. The variant T strain will only cease when the Trump rallies cease. Washington, D.C. Former President Barack Obama listens into his phone, his brow furrowed in consternation. I understand, he says. This has always been a monumentally important election. 
but now our very survival may be at stake. As the leader of our party, I will do everything I can to converge the support of every sector in America to rally behind Joe. You know, we're in this together isn't just a slogan. The United States of America. November 7th, 2020. In big cities and small towns across the country, car horn honking parades and dance parties erupt as Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are declared the next president and vice president of the United States. Summer 2021. The threat of COVID and a variant T dramatically declines. People are getting vaccinated, masks are coming off, and zombie sightings become a rarity. Riffing on Ronald Reagan's famous campaign ad, It's Morning Again in America, a new catchphrase now buzzes from Anchorage to Arkansas, Newport to Nevada. It's summer again in America. I cannot get over George's incredible imagination and Stephen DeRosa's on-point Trump impersonation. So fun and so biting. Now, it's not every day that we get to talk with a Grammy winner here on The Social Contract, but it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Kathleen Conti to the podcast. Kathleen is one of the most sought-after sound editors, recording engineers, and re-recording mixers in the business. In 2020, she won a Grammy. And she is one of the reasons why all the presidential conversations-themed projects, including this podcast, sound so good. Welcome to The Social Contract, Kathleen. I'm so glad to have you here. And I really appreciate you spending some of your hot and humid New York Saturday with me. Thank you for having me. Are you in hot and humid New York City? I am. Same. <laughs> well, I would love to hear about your Grammy, which was for Rachel Maddow's audiobook Blowout. And first, I want to say congratulations. It's really a huge, amazing, special accomplishment to have a Grammy on your resume and in your life. It's it's tremendous. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know that you were the engineer on that project, and so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what that entailed and how it was to work with Rachel Maddow. I just want to share that I was one of four engineers on the project. Awesome. And it was amazing. Working with Rachel was mind-blowing. You know, every day she brought something fresh to mm. to her book, to the room. The energy was always so high and very, very bright. Oh, that's so great. And so she was a down-to-earth and warm human being, even though she's this super. massive superstar. Super professional, very warm, very uh, humble, very caring and considerate. Her timing was very um, well thought out because she would come in to do a few hours of recording every day. I think it took like uh, 15 or 16 sessions Wow! with her coming in to record and then going to shoot her show. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. 
Well, not only were you one of four and a key part of the production of Maddow's Blowout, but you've been a key part of the production team that's been making the magic happen, working on the Presidential Conversations audiobook. So share with us how you got involved with this project. Oh, my God. I love this project so much. So it's like I. whenever I see the inbox light up with, hey, are you free? And I'm like, yes, I don't care what I'm doing. I'm just going to clear my schedule. Amazing. Um, I was introduced to the production team by Rob. Miles. She brought me in and she asked if I would be willing to meet with the team, virtually of course, but and then start working on this project. She was a tremendous reach and it's a wonderful, wonderful audiobook and story. The way George S. Corey writes these stories, it, it's it's history, but it's current. And it's so relevant to my day-to-day that I share it with my children, who are mm. now teenagers and young adults. But it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful project. I think it's very special, and it really does stand out as something quite unique. Oh, yes, I agree. I'm assuming that since you've worked on the CODAs and now you're working on the upcoming Presidential Conversations for Kids, that you are pretty much hooked on it. It happens to all of us. I am, too. What has it meant to you to be such an integral part of the Presidential Conversations world? And do you have a personal favorite George S. Corey book or coda that you've worked on, something that stands out from the rest? Oh, my goodness. I love all of them. I just, Stephen's voice, once he goes into character, once he brings you back into narration, it's just like I'm hooked. I love them all. They're never mean. They're never caustic. They're never cutting. And that is a feat with politics today. Yes, yes, for sure. You've worked extensively in the sound department, not only in audiobooks and podcasts, but in television and film. So I'm wondering if there's a sweet spot for you. Is there a part of your job that's the most special to you personally as a sound artist? I love working with other people, with other teams. So when I walk into a project that comes with producers and actors and writers, directors, I feel immediately part of their team. And Mm. so when they walk into my house, uh, I call the studio my house, my second home, my house is their house. So we all work together and I just, I, I love that. I love the connection we make. And sometimes I sit quietly in the background and only when I'm asked of like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And I'm like, oh, okay, let's let's try it this way. Mm-hmm. And so giving them their space to paint their picture audibly is so rewarding because just to be there. Yeah. There's a special quality with somebody in your position where you can, you really do create an environment. You really do invite people into your home. And not everyone has that perspective or that ability. And working with a master engineer who is a partner and creating such a supportive environment, such a positive environment, it's a really rare thing and it makes a huge difference. Yeah. I've been in your home with you before, so. (laughs) I just, I love working with people. I love working with sound, with skilled and talented people like yourself. Is there anything about presidential conversations for kids that you're particularly looking forward to? Oh, my goodness. I can't wait for them to ingest every ounce of the stories, of the history, and not be afraid of today. Not be afraid of tomorrow, not be afraid of yesterday, just embrace it all and know that you're not alone. You're not alone. We are all in this together. And there's always a solution to challenges. I don't want to say problems. I want to call them challenges. 
And once we work together yeah. to find the solutions to these challenges, then I want them to be inspired. I want yeah. the children to be inspired, to feel confident, to know that they can try something, know that they can do something new. And if they fail 11 times, it's never a failure. It's just another way to start over again and to engineer how to make it better. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. And I know that we will be in touch in the future with Presidential Conversations for Kids, and I so look forward to that. Looking forward to it, yes. Thank you. Kathleen Conti, everyone. Such a lovely conversation. And she's so humble. She didn't mention it, but I will. Her 2020 Grammy win was actually her second nomination. Her first nomination was in 2019 for the Beastie Boys book. How cool is that? As I do every episode, I'd like to conclude with a quote. This one from one of the great American novels, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And so with the sunshine and the great bursts of leaves growing on the trees, just as things grow in fast movies, I had that familiar conviction that life was beginning over again with the summer. I wish you all that same sense of summertime restoration and renewal. I'm already looking forward to the next episode in our summer series, and I hope you are too. It's a special Marilyn Monroe-themed episode called Some Like It Not, a satirical riff on the 1959 comedy Some Like It Hot, in which Marilyn starred alongside a cross-dressing Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis. That episode comes out on August 29th, Remember, we always release on the last Monday of the month. I want to thank our very special guest, Kathleen Conti, the always amazing Stephen DeRosa, and of course, the creators of The Social Contract, George S. Corey and Cleo. Most of all, I want to thank you, our listeners. As always, we are thrilled to have you with us. We welcome you to follow The Social Contract podcast, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And we'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and even a short review. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MyTSCPodcast. You can visit George S. Corey at georgescorey.com and Cleo at theartistcleo.com. This has been the Social Contract Podcast, created by George S. Corey and Cleo. Produced and hosted by Tavia Gilbert. Associate producer, Katie Flood. Music courtesy of Listen Audio. Mix and master by Kayla Elrod. This has been a podcast from Listen Audio in association with TalkBox Productions.